Today's show is sponsored by Miracle Made. And oh my God, you guys, you know that I love a luxurious set of sheets. And I now have such a set of sheets because of a miracle made. They are bedding that has been inspired by NASA. They've got silver infused fabrics that actually make temperature regulating a thing. Uh, so you're not like getting too hot or too cold or whatever, you know, the whole thing that happens with your body's temperature losing its mind. Miracle made helps with that. One of the little things that my husband particularly loves about Miracle Made is that it like doesn't have as much bacteria as regular sheets because of it's infused with this silver that prevents up to 99.7% of bacterial growth. So it leaves the sheets cleaner for longer. And then the thing for my husband is that it doesn't give him acne, which is like an issue for some people. But more than all of that, it's just luxuriously comfortable and delightful. And it has that cooling feeling while also being cozy. Very hard to achieve those two things at the same time. I mean, miracle made, come on, well done. So here's what I think you should do. I think you should go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation and buy some sheets today. And if you order today, you can save 40% off. Use the promo code fake the nation at the checkout and you'll get three free towels and save an extra 20%. So there's just a lot of savings here, folks. Order today, you'll get 40% off. Use the promo code fake the nation. Go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation. And Miracle's so confident in their product, it's backed with a 30 day money back guarantee. So if you're not 100% satisfied, which I don't see happening, um, you'll get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation and use the code fake the nation to claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40% off. Again, that's trymiracle.com slash fake the nation to treat yourself. Thank you, Miracle Made, for sponsoring this episode. Fake the Nation, episode 191. Sunny Bono is on one of my favorite episodes of Golden Girls. Oh, shit. I didn't I know watched... he did a little guest on Golden Girls. Did he date one of them? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which one? Blanche? No, Dorothy. He's shorter than Dorothy, no? That was probably the joke. Oh, was that the joke? I mean, it, it ultimately was a joke because it really existed in like a parallel universe because it's Sonny Bono. Like it wasn't just Sonny Bono playing a guy who's dating Dorothy. He was Sonny Bono, mayor of Palm Springs. Oh, that's hilarious. Dating Dorothy Spornak. And it was, it's it's one of my favorite episodes. I'm sorry to go there. Like that's totally irrelevant. You you got controversial very early in the episode. (laughs) That's great, that's great. Um, Hello, hello, this is Fake the Nation, where we talk about news, we talk about politics, and where we just wait until everything is canceled for the coronavirus. I'm your host, Nikine Farsad. Um, and the and coronavirus has come to the shores of Fake the Nation uh, because Ashley um, Ford, one of our panelists, wisely had come into contact with a feverish person and thought it best not to come into the studio, and she's right! Um, and I said, I think I'm right. Yeah, I'm no, pretty sure. you're totally right. Italy would tell you they should have done that shit fucking two weeks ago. Um, and anyways, but we're we're still in the studio and we're going to talk about the 
uh, Democratic primary sadness fair. Um, we'll also ask if boomers are the greatest generation. And tomboys, are they still among us? Um, I'm excited by today's post-apocalyptic panel. Um, I'm joined um, in the flesh. I'm joined by veteran of Fake the Nation. You guys know her. You love her. She's a comedian around town. Um, she fucking kills. Uh, and she's got a solo show that I'm so excited about. It's called Don't Reach in the Bag. And it's about the many years that she worked at a porn shop. So guys, fucking <laughs> Google alert that shit because you're going to want to watch that show. You guys, it's Shalewa Sharp. Hey, Shalewa. Hello. Um, joining us so so responsibly <laughs> over a phone line. Her audio quality may be slightly different, but we can see her face through the miracle of technology. So it's like she's in the room with us. Um, <laughs> she's here for the first time. She's a writer. She's a host of the wonderful podcast, Fortune Favors the Bold. Um, and we're so excited to have her here for the first time digitally. You guys, it's Ashley C. Ford. I'm so happy to be here. I've got to tell you, I ne- like so many of the things that you guys talk about on the podcast, I never get to talk about because people mostly want to talk to me about feelings, which is great. <laughs> <laughs> we, well, we are, we talk I about don't feelings. don't about feelings. <laughs> <laughs> we talk about feelings, but uh, in a very, in a 10,000 feet in the air kind of way. Mm-hmm. Um, well, let's get into our first um, feelings adjacent topic. Topic number one. Yeah, there it is. It's okay. You know what? It's a coronavirus. <laughs> Bell on chatting. It just who knows. See, today we're off the rails already. Um, so okay. So it's primary election 2020, and it feels like a slow death. Um, on Tuesday, Biden picked up delegates in Missouri, Mississippi, Michigan, and Idaho. Sanders took North Dakota and Washington. Biden has a clear lead in the delegate count. I have never been more just saddened. It feels like just prolonged weird grief. I have promised people. Um, thanks to the many, many, many people who reach out to me on Twitter and Instagram and a couple of you on Facebook, people still use that, um, to say, the, the you know, t- 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 who were like, oh, I felt the same way when Elizabeth Warren bowed out of the race because um, I, I had some tears, you guys, last week and we found out during the show. So I um, – and, and, I, and I was just – it's almost – I didn't even super realize that there was another set of primaries. On two, like they just came up on us, you know what I mean? No, like right, I, right, I right. just thought they were like, oh, another week away, or like I had time to com- regain my composure, you know. Mm-hmm. But no, here they were on fucking Tuesday, and yep. um, Biden is just is is uh, sweeping them. So, what were your first reactions? Um. Oh well, once Warren was out, I was like, Ugh. right. <laughs> I mean, uh, not that I. I mean, I. <laughs> Look, I'll, I'm, of course, going to vote for whoever I need yes, to vote of course, for. Yeah. Um, so at this point, it's just like, which, I don't know. It's just like picking something so abstract. Like, you see three birds on a wire. You know what? I like to look at that one. It doesn't, <laughs> none of it. <laughs> I'm not entirely sure it matters. Like, in but, your scenario, I'm also like, <laughs> what is she going to do with that bird? Like, it's sinister. <laughs> Yeah, it's not. Did you are you surprised that Sanders didn't do better? I'm not. Mm -mm. I'm not super surprised. Not with the places that have been primaried so far. Yeah. No, 
I like <laughs> I'm not super surprised that he didn't do better in these places. And I think it's because unfortunately there are people who thought a rhetoric that should work, like telling people what they should do, yeah. is the same thing as convincing people that in a lot of cases they've been trained to believe that they're not worth anything. But you are. And this is somebody who wants to give you what you're worth. Mm -hmm. Like, let's peel this back and talk about it and figure it out a little bit. Yeah. But people ain't got patience for that. Like, nobody mm -hmm. wants to, like, sit down and oh, convince them. No, the, the onion, <laughs> onion approach to politics is definitely mm -hmm. not how we're working. But when it feels urgent, I, I also understand. Like, when something feels so urgent and it feels like it's right around the corner, whether that fear is real or not. You know, I talk to people a lot. Like when we, I do talk about feelings, one of the things I tell people all the time is feelings aren't facts. Like feelings are really powerful and feelings can move a revolution and they can move people and they can change things. But feelings don't really change what happened. Well, in why has right. Bernie done worse than he did in 2016. And also, you know, with Warren out of the race, the argument that there was another progressive breaking up the vote, that argument no longer holds water. And so why didn't he do better? I, I mean, they'll, they'll find a reason. <laughs> yeah, I feel like it may just be... Didn't we do this already? Can I ask I you... I think that? it well, may so, literally just be people thinking, right. I mean, I thought... Right. Well, he and, we already he decided it off against before. him. Yeah. Yeah. Like he's... Can I ask you guys, as two black women, uh -oh. can you I know. <laughs> explain the entirety of the black vote in the United States? <laughs> Just go ahead and do that for me real quick. That'd be great. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, we seem to agree. Well, I mean, look, black people can't get it together as to who to invite to the barbecue. Mm. And I think we need to look at that model when looking at the presidential, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? It's, we're not a monolith. We're not a monolith. Yeah. yeah. I say that about Muslims all the time. Nobody, yeah, we're not a... Nobody cares, but it's We're but not it's a true. monolith. Yeah. So it's even hard to, mm. it's one of those things where it's hard to speak to why, but also it's hard to be surprised. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. there's, I mean, yes, of course, I've, I've been in a barber shop. I absolutely know what's happening, the conversations happening in all of these places. Um, and I don't know if it's a breakdown on age. Yeah. Like, I, I feel like there's definitely a... Yeah, because, like, can you tell me anecdotally your young black friends versus your older black family members or whatever, yeah. who are they voting for? Can you guys yeah, tell I me? Yeah, I mean, I would say, I would put it like this. Especially, like, I'm a young, youngish, I'm 33. You know what I mean? Like whenever I talk to somebody that's over 33, they're like, oh, you're so young. And you whenever know, I talk to somebody in their twenties, they like, you know, yeah, have you thought about what you want your last days to look like? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus <laughs> died at 33. I hate you to know? remind you. Mm -hmm. You know, but he also, you know. He got a lot done. He, <laughs> <laughs> he got a lot done. <laughs> um, I think what's happening in a lot of cases, in my experience anyway, is that older black folks are not all of them, but some of them are definitely taking the position of, you know, how do we just minimize damage? Mm. How like they're going to screw us over anyway. They're going to mess up anyway. How do we make sure that when that blow comes, it is not as hard as it could be. So they're like, yes, let's get rid of Trump. 
You know what I mean? But on all these other things, it's like there it's almost like this fear and it's a fear based in historical analysis and in experiences of these people that says, why would I shoot for the moon and fall that far? Right, 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 <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. If I just shoot for the top of this tree, I know I can survive. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, that's the way some people are looking at it. I think younger folks tend to take the position of when you are at rock bottom, why not shoot for the moon? When you have right. nothing. I mean, when it's you- also it's, a, it's an interesting generational divide because I think younger people are like, well, Elon Musk is going to Mars. I'll vote. For, uh, that means I can vote for Bernie, which is like, you know, obviously not parallel. But like that, I think, is part of the generational divide. There is a shoot for the moon. Um, the whole idea of moonshots, right. you know what I mean? We've we're more accustomed to that, you know, kind of thinking. Um, mm-hmm. and then people who are older than us are, you know, yeah. And I'm like smack dab in the middle. Uh, well, I'm except for-, for people older than us, literally went to the moon. So I mean, my my <laughs> argument is falling apart as I say it. But no, anyway, go but, ahead. Because uh, I'm 47, so you know, five years ago, I definitely could see like, yeah, maybe we could do these things. Maybe it is a possibility. But now I, I, I waffle between like, hey, man, you're damned if you do and damned if you don't as a black person here. So I don't even know exactly how much I believe that all of this stuff will happen. Um, right. Especially like I it to me, it's looking like it is a lot of emotion uh, and a lot of youthful exuberance that's helping Bernie. But now I have I, I'm approaching this part of my life where I'm like, yeah, I see your youthful exuberance and I know what it's like when it peters out or I know what it does Ooh. and what it doesn't do. And this is fun here, but then there's actual work to be done. And I mean, I'm not sure we're all willing to do the actual work. Right. And well, that's a I, little bit yeah. where it might fall apart. And I think the the. Maybe the vagaries of the plat- Bernie platform yes. have come to roost mm-hmm. um, a little bit because maybe people need more needed more specifics to get riled up. Like maybe f- sometimes feelings really need some evidence. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Sometimes just, they do. I mean, yeah. and I and sometimes I want to say this is not over. Right. Like this election nope. is not over. Um, nope. I haven't fucking voted. I'll tell you that much. And I know that, like, you know, the Democratic primary process is hell bent on disenfranchising me in particular <laughs> as a New York mm-hmm. voter. But the the this election is not over. I, you know, and I am at this point supporting Bernie and because I believe in that progressive platform um, and I, you know, and I'll be phone banking for Bernie. I tried right. to phone bank for Tuesday, but this, my schedule just wouldn't allow it. Anyway, um, so I'm like, I, well, you, uh, yeah, I, I'm like, like you guys are holding me accountable for something. Anyways, I don't know why. I just like feel guilty. I feel fucking guilty that I didn't have time to phone bank for him um, before Tuesday. Um, and look, um, I, but what I want us to do right now mm-hmm. is I want to make everyone feel better about Biden. And because you guys don't seem particularly fucking thrilled, but <laughs> right. <laughs> no, like huh. I'm looking at the most hilarious faces right now. Um, <laughs> Better about Biden? <laughs> yeah. I want us to feel if Biden is our guy, 
Uh-huh. I want us to um and I kept thinking there the thing about him is he is a moderate to the core but right. he has more left than he was in 20 in 2008, right? Uh Obama started out more moderate than he was you know, he started out being like, no, I'm against gay marriage. And then he was like, no, I'm totally for gay marriage. Right. The thing with Obama, and I think is also true for Biden, is these people are malleable. Mm-hmm. And I was reading an article in the New York Times by J- Jamel Bowie. He's like a fantastic writer. Um, and he made the case. And, and I was thinking about like, no, that there is something good about Biden. And that is he can be moved. He's not an ideologue. He is like nope. he will shift with the wind. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And if the wind is more progressive, he will move in that direction. I believe that. And that's good for us. And that's great for down ballot races where we do elect progressives. They can actually do something. And Jamel Bowie made a fantastic argument, which is that we saw this essentially in Virginia. Virginia had a governor's race. There was a progressive. There was a, de- uh, a moderate. The moderate Ralph Northam and his blackface photos mm-hmm. won, right? Yeah, his, we still just let him rock yeah, with that, didn't we? Just, we we, we kind of did. Being yeah. okay with it. Um, <laughs> we had so much going on. I think we, I think we left it to Virginia to, yeah, to like, handle you know one. Yeah. This is your yeah. situation. Your and Virginia yeah. was like, it's fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> yep. but, but what happened in Virginia was that there was a bunch of progressive candidates who ran for the General Assembly and they um, managed, and they're, and they're by no means a majority, but they managed with their with their status to be able to push the yep. the legislative thing to to the left the the yep. their legislative uh, goals to the left and I'll tell you what's happened there um, they were able to push uh, raising the minimum wage legalizing collective bargaining for public employees they expanded the right to vote um, I have a theory which is that moderates are actually full-blooded, fucking throw glitter into the air progressives. I actually believe that because being a moderate is not exactly exciting, but it's diplomatic. Mm -hmm. So you are publicly a super-duper moderate because you can get the votes, but in your heart, you're like, yeah, I want universal health care. Come on, obviously. You know what I mean? And I think... Martin Luther King Jr. would disagree with that assessment. (laughs) 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 Like, this man has, you know, really gone on the record about the problem with moderates and the problem with that, with being a moderate. And because, like, the problem is if you run as a moderate, you are still, in my opinion, like putting out the fact that those ideas are the better idea. And if you are convinced differently, it was pressure from the left Instead of a change of heart, people don't talk about when moderates do something, when they become more liberal, we don't call it a changing of the heart. Even if that's how we feel it happens, we call it pressure from the left, which ends up making it sounds like one part of, you know, this process Mm. is forcing people. And we hear that language reinforced over and over and over. Even when we start talking about privilege and stuff like that, and people say, what do people always say? Why should I have to feel bad? Right. And it's like, who told you you had to feel bad? Right. Yeah. If it's not you. (laughs) You Right. I, I, yeah, I see, I see what you mean. Although I, again, like, I really want to see a silver lining if Biden is our nominee that, that, that it's Trump not it is not the end of the progressive agenda and the progressive agenda was 
never about Bernie, and it was never about Warren, although Warren would have done a fantastic job. But it was, <laughs> it it's about the ideas, and the ideas will persist even if our, our preferred vessels don't. Of course, and 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 I just think we have to continue to have the fire. You know, right? And we have to go to the fucking mat. Is that the? Am I making a wrestling analogy? <laughs> yeah, that's anyway. Right. We have to go to mm-hmm. a mat of some sort, <laughs> and we need to wrestle with the rest of America, and we need to get the man elected because he is our best fucking shot. If if if, if this primary, so now we're talking marketing. His, how do we do that? Right. We need to. Bu- how do we build a fire? I and I and we don't need to answer that right now. I just because I have another question for you guys that's unrelated, but I want us to begin to build a fire for either of these two candidates because the primary is not over. And if Bernie is not your guy and he's not the guy for many, many people, as we've seen from these the from the election results Mm -hmm. and he ends up being the guy, you got to build a fire. How are you going to build that fire? We need to start making those arguments. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I want to turn around the thinking and I don't want to right. be sad anymore. Right. So, um, even though this has been the most depressing election <laughs> season of my life. Okay. But here's my final question on this. Is coronavirus fucking with democracy? <laughs> yeah. It will. It's gonna keep people and this is why and this is why I think it will. Because pretty soon, so many, there were already in certain places, politicians deciding to no longer do things like hold town halls or show up and be accountable to their <laughs> right. uh, well, yeah, We were already in trouble with that. Yeah. So we were already in trouble with that. But now during an election season, I will tell you what has changed people's minds about candidates, what has gotten them to come to the poll versus liking a candidate and just staying home a lot of the time is going to rallies, shaking hands with that person, getting to see them speak in the same room. It's the fire, knowing building that the fire, yeah, physically the fire, out there. Yep. They came to your hometown, knowing that they thought your state was worth coming to and that the votes in your state matter and that they understand all of that. Like those things count. And I think it's going to affect voter turnout specifically (sighs) um, if people aren't able to make those connections and really understand why this candidate is worth going out there for. A lot of that face-to-face stuff that happens, you can't just recreate in a video or over the radio or anything. Like, you can't. Like, it's different. You know what it's like when somebody... Haven't you ever heard people, you've been like, why does that person have so much power? Why do people listen to them? And then you meet them. Yeah, yeah. Don't trust them. You get it. Totally. Mm -hmm. You're like, oh, I see. Yeah. Yeah. Some some bands you need to see live. Some Some bands you need to see live. People aren't like, some are good in studio, but live they're not. Right. They're not like, I want to live stream this fish concert. Right. Yeah. Because then, (laughs) as fish fans will say, no, the magic is you have to be there. there. You need to have your mushrooms. You need to drop the acid in Madison Square Garden. And Um, then it'll all make sense. Yeah. I am. And I I should just point out for listeners who don't know, uh, Bernie and Biden have canceled a bunch of their rallies. Even Donnie canceled rallies, which I thought was just flabbergasting because he's been saying that this whole thing is just the flu. Um, Yeah, but, you know, he doesn't. I mean, it is a struggle for him on a a quote good day for him to (laughs) interact with people. 
Um, he loves his rallies. Though. I'm not saying he that he was shaking rallies. hands at his rallies. Yeah, but I mean, he but loves he a loves rally. It. He but just needs the rally for to his him. A rally is just being on stage, yelling at the folks and getting a reaction. Yeah, and, but, but he and, doesn't and, like but the but meeting part of it. But I think the rallies are also really critical to his turnout. It is. It absolutely Listen, is. He's going to keep shaking hands. He eventually is going to come back to rallies. And let me, t- I have a theory that Donald Trump has been trying to die for a long time. Absolutely. I think Donald Trump, (laughs) I think the only reason Donald Trump keeps doing wild stuff, because he's like, eventually, this this is going to kill me, This can't be forever. (laughs) I have gotten away with so much. I am... He's like, I've been, I'm eating well-done steaks every day. I found the driest cheeseburger in all the land, and I scarfed down for breakfast every day. I got, I got special Cokes that nobody else is allowed to touch so that I never run out of Coca-Cola. I got a button at my desk. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And not saying that it's just diet. Like, look at this person. Look at this man. Like, and he's just like, he's like, oh, by the way, I don't care about none of y'all, basically. And <laughs> yeah. I it's like, he's like, one of y'all are going to kill me, right? This is, like, this is like a weird, uh, this is the sequel to Leaving Las Vegas. Is what yes, <laughs> he's doing it in front of us. <laughs> by the yeah. way, guys, I love referencing movies from 150 <laughs> years ago to make a Good, point. Good, because those are the only ones I saw. <laughs> Those are the only ones. Um, all right, you guys. Uh, let me know what you think is coronavirus fucking with democracy. How are you building the fire? I need to know, you guys. I need to know how you're doing it. I want to build the fire with you. We're building a fucking fire. Okay. <laughs> um, all right. Let's uh, very quickly take a break um, so that we can hear about our sponsors. And then when we come back, we're going to talk about the boomers. <laughs> This HeadGum Podcast is brought to you by Aura Frames. That is right. Uh, from grandmothers to new mothers, aunts, even the friends of your life, every mom loves an Aura Frame. Holy shit, even aunts? Yes, especially aunts. Oh, well. Because it was named the best digital photo frame by Wirecutter and selected as one of Oprah's favorite things. I mean, these Aura Frames are guaranteed to bring joy to moms of all ages. I believe it. You have an Aura Frame, don't you? Yes, I actually more than believe it. I know it. Uh, I've got one for my mom, my mother-in-law, my grandmother-in-law. And dare I say your aunt? And dare you say my aunt and my aunt-in-law. Everyone's got one. Everyone loves them. I mean, Mother's Day is right around the corner, and there's no better gift than a digital photo frame. You give them the frame. It's got preloaded pictures in there. And you know what? You can update it with an app. So every time you take a new picture of a sweet little uh, person or place or thing in your life, it gets automatically sent to that frame. Exactly. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. Holy smokes. Excellent deal. Yeah, that's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. You use the code HEADGUM at checkout to save. HEADGUM. Nice. Yes. HeadGum. It's easy to set up. It's loved by everybody, including Oprah, including your aunt. Mm-hmm. So do check them out. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code HeadGum at checkout to save. Damn right. And terms and conditions apply, of course. Of course. Thanks again to Aura. Today's show is sponsored by Pros. This is kind of, I feel like, you know, I'm on some sort of Lord of the Rings journey trying to figure out skincare. And I feel like this customized skincare line is really got my name on it. 
basically every bottle of Pro's custom hair care and skin care, I tried the skin care just recently, is made to order and it's personalized. It's got a unique blend of naturally powerful and proven effective ingredients to meet your needs, like specifically you. And then the way they do it is you take this great, like in-depth quiz, basically. They analyze over 80 factors for a complete view of your life, your beauty goals, Um, Like I have oily skin that's also dry, which is just a fun little conundrum. I live in New York City. Like we've got these four seasons. My my face gets weird during seasonal shifts. Um, I all of these things I got to kind of talk about in like in answering the questions. Um, The other fun thing was they asked us at the end, like, do you like a creamy type of moisturizer or like a less creamy kind? And I was kind of like, I think like less creamy. And they were like, that's fine. Like you can do that, but we think for your skin type, creamier is better. And I never knew that. So I love that there's so much kind of personal information that goes into creating this. I got my stuff in the mail very quickly after I got a wonderful serum. Like I said, this very creamy moisturizer. Um, And this also very just delectably creamy cleanser that just kind of feel like I, I think it's possible that I've been washing my face with just like harsh harshness for like many years because when I saw this cleanser I was like oh is this what it's supposed to feel like it's supposed to feel like a little bit of a delight on my face that's not what I've been doing so I don't know guys and here's the thing you don't have to take my word for it in a third-party double-blind dermatologist supervised controlled clinical study um, which is like the gold standard for research studies Pros prove that personalization works better than off-the-shelf alternatives, which just sort of totally makes sense on a just logical level if you think about it. Just it makes common sense. Pros are so confident that you'll love your results that they're offering my listeners an exclusive trial offer so you can see the difference custom care can make. 50% of your first subscription order at pros.com slash Fake the nation um, will be taken off. That's pros.com slash fake the nation. You get your free consultation and 50% off your one of a kind formulas. Uh, again, that's pros.com slash fake the nation. Go and get your just super personalized, luxurious skincare products and hair care products. That's what I'm going to try next. So pros.com slash fake the nation. I am the type of person that has subscribed to things, and I have forgotten about those things. I have paid twice for a children's educational app, and I didn't know that I was paying twice for several months. Until that is, I discovered Rocket Money, and because I use Rocket Money, it just showed up all these things. The thing that I was paying twice for that made me incredibly angry, thank God, Rocket Money ended that for me. It also cancels the subscription for you, so you don't have to like go through the hassle of going to that site and figuring out how to cancel. They actually make canceling very difficult. I don't know if any of you have had the experience, but I have been on a like a roundabout eight exit nightmare trying to unsubscribe to something before. Rocket 
money eliminates that hassle. It also alerts you to an increase in subscription price. And this is something Rocket Money did for me. It negotiates a lower price for something you already subscribe to. So like for my cable bill, it got me a lower price. And I was very happy about that. Nearly 75% of people have subscriptions that they've forgotten about, which makes me feel better because I'm one of them. But it makes me feel terrible because what are we doing? Losing that money. Uh, I don't want to waste that money. And I know you don't want to waste that money. If you struggle with these kinds of purchases, if you struggle with finances in general, Rocket Money will help you with the budgeting, help you track your expenses, help you, like I said, cancel those unwanted subscription. It's a personal finance app that finds and cancels unwanted subscriptions. It monitors your spending. It helps you lower your bills so you can get back to saving. I mean, me and my husband have been on the warpath and Rocket Money has been a really big part of that. It has over 5 million users with over $500 million in canceled subscriptions. The average member has saved up to $740 a year using the app's features, which is, I mean, that tracks for me. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions. Go to rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Again, that's rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Save the money at rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Eat stress-free this spring with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready-to-eat in just two minutes. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular options like Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also, discover more than 60 add-ons every week like breakfast, on-the-go lunch, snacks, and beverages to help you stay fueled and feel good all day long. What are you waiting for? Folks, I feel like I've mentioned this before, but I tried other services that I was displeased with. And then a neighbor of mine was trying Factor. I had pulled them aside in the hallway and I was like, what are you feeling about this Factor? And they were like, it is delicious. You should definitely do it. So then me and my husband did it and we loved it. They are chef-prepared meals that arrive to your door, and then in two minutes, you could be eating them. Like, it's so simple, and they're actually delicious. And for people like me who just sometimes, my schedule can be so maniacal between traveling in different cities and, you know, doing stand-up gigs. It's like I just don't have a typical schedule where I can plan, set aside time for cooking and all that stuff. So something like Factor really helps for me. The other thing that I love to do is try not to eat carbs. (laughs) So they have a keto option, which is fantastic. It's super delicious. They use premium ingredients. You can get stuff with like filet mignon and shrimp and truffle butter and broccolini and asparagus, right? Like real ingredients. They're no fuss, no mess meals. Um, They eliminate the hassle of having to prep. They're tailored to your schedule. Um, You can customize your weekly meals uh, with flexibility. You can pause or reschedule. I've actually done that. I've both paused and rescheduled. Um, Factor is basically your solution for fast premium meals without the need for cooking. We're celebrating Earth Day all month long. And look out for the Earth Month Eats badge on the menu for the lowest carbon footprint meals. So here's what I think you should do. I think you should head to factormeals.com slash fake the nation 
50 and use the code fake the nation 50 to get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month that's code fake the nation 50 at factormeals.com slash fake the nation 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active man that sunset is gorgeous grill patio sunset hard to get better than that Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Oh, you guys, before uh, we move on... I wanted to just mention, I've been getting such great feedback about Bonus The Nation. The first episode is available on your regular feed. And to get more of the episodes, you're going to go to Stitcher Premium. You're going to use the code FAKE. You're going to get a month of free Stitcher Premium. It gives you access to a whole bunch of Stitcher Premium content, which is amazing. More importantly, though, it'll give you access to Bonus The Nation, which is our bonus show such amazing episodes on Bonus the Nation. Like, I can't wait for you to hear them. Um, so please support the show and uh, join Stitcher Premium to get your Bonus the Nations. And we are back, you guys, and we're ready for topic number two. So we read a piece of Newsweek by Sam Hill. What the Sam Hill? Um, and the... <laughs> I just realized that his name is also in an expression. Um, And the piece is called, OK, Millennial, Boomers are the Greatest Generation in History. And in it, Hill argues that, that, quote, boomers are the greatest generation the world has ever known, the most innovative, the most caring, the hardest working. Um, And, you know, and it goes on to make a very long uh, case for it, a pretty impressive case for it. And um, there's been so much generational one-upsmanship. And I don't know what it was like in other generations, right? Because this is the only one I've experienced. But mm-hmm. um, before we get into who's the best, tell me, like, what are your general thoughts about boomers? Like, did you even think that they sucked, like, when the OK Boomer thing started happening? And before that, I mean, we've been the boomers have been the butt of a joke for a very long time. Yeah. I mean, like, I to me, I, I'm kind of like, I with this particular argument— uh, uh, against boomers, I'm like I'm tapping out because I already did this as Gen <laughs> X, and I had my issues already. And I now we're just we're doing just, it again. Yeah, like let them let them die. They're dying. <laughs> They're dying. And I I think it's and I don't know if it's again like a getting older thing where I'm like, look, man, this is like we're talking last gasp. They don't know. They didn't think that this would happen to them. Dying. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. And I, I believe that when I get older, I will be shocked to find out that I, too. Shaleo, you're literally never going to die. Oh, I hope so. Because <laughs> uh, the way my money's set up. Um, <laughs> There's an expiration date. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I. Um, so I really think that's it. And it just seems like I'm like, why are you beating up on your... I mean, are they, and I'm also unsure as to who is the what of the, like, are, are they beating just, up on grandparents or I, well, uncles? I, I, my like, question is, I mean, my, the, the thing that has frustrated me about the beating up on boomers is that it feels like a hack joke by this point. Yes, and absolutely. we should just all fucking stop. Like, let's just stop. But Ashley, where where do you stand? I don't know, because I don't, the thing with boomers to me is that where where I grew up and how I grew up, 
boomers were like my grandparents, my grandparents. And there are a lot of people who are saying boomer who mean like their parent. Yes. Or, you know, or something like that. So a lot of times I'm like, I don't know. My grandma was pretty great. She didn't really. (laughs) But boomers as a generation, it's wild because I I think that is also one of those times where you have to start looking at race and socioeconomic status really closely when you're looking at like the generational uh, generalization. Because when people talk about boomers, they're really talking, in my opinion, they're really talking about white, rich boomers. Right. Like That's who they're talking about, are the people who have all the stuff and have gotten rid of all the regulations <laughs> on their stuff so that they don't have to share it ever with anybody that they don't choose um, personally. And then taught everybody else that they should be grateful Anytime they decide to reach in to their couch and pull out the change and sprinkle it on the society below. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, well, OK, Sam Hill, though, would would say something different to that. Uh, and I'm just going to read from his piece here. He said in 1960. So, so he basically a big part of his point was we actually millennials actually have it easier and boomers had it harder. And this is, and he writes uh, in 62, Rachel Carson wrote Silent Spring about the global poisoning caused by pesticides. In 68, uh, Paul Ehrlich um, wrote The Population Bomb, which predicted worldwide famine in the 70s and 80s due to overpopulation. In 72, the Club of Rome published The Limits to Growth, predicting that the world would begin running out of resources by 2008. And none of those things happened. And you know why? Because we dealt with them, as in the boomers. <laughs> the boomers dealt with them. And that's why. Right. So he's he was he basically goes through a step by step thing of like the ozone layer was fucking deleting the was going away. The thing that protects us from the sun's radiation was vanishing. And we came together geopolitically and we. So now it's OK that we're. <laughs> but that sounds like you're so, saying so, so now it's OK pointing. that we're old. And don't care about these things happening to you guys. No, I mean, I don't know that that's his point. I think his point was in our time, we when we were robust and young and energetic, we had to deal with a lot of crazy issues like so the nuclear, win- like the possibility of a nuclear winter, sure. like the depletion of the ozone layer, like, you know, uh, yeah. many, a lot of environmental. Things I, he I read that piece yeah. and it still felt like he was like, well, we did it. and. Now and so whatever your little piddly thing is, you have to deal with. Do you understand that we we now had, it's your turn. Now it's your turn. Yeah, it is. It's he that, is a now like it's a your trauma, turn. Yes. But that's a trauma response. That's yes. a trauma response. When you <laughs> suffered, when you have suffered, and so you assign that suffering to why you are great, and you tell other people that the only reason or the only way for them to be great is to suffer equally to your suffering. Yes. Like, that's a trauma response. Well, let me, ma- let me point out a couple more of his arguments. For example, he says that things are cheaper now. Taxes are lower. Um, you That'll know, help. a flight between mm-hmm. New York and London is actually affordable, whereas back in the day, it was so much, it was um, it was really, like, rarefied, a rarefied experience to take a flight. That's true, but they also had equity. 
It would also <laughs> help me more to be able to have gone to college at the same rates that they yeah, did. Yeah, absolutely. And to be able to take a flight, flight to, to London. But we go to college. We have higher rates of um of 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 of. Uh, Oh my God, I'm losing my mind. Of people college, who go to college, yeah, people who go to college, there's we but what are about more college educated people, than they were then. But what about percentages of people who enter and then graduate? I and still, then also, I, I still think all of those metrics are higher now. I don't believe that's true. I don't think we're finishing. And then also we're finishing and we have all of this. But we debt. have debt. Now that's a, that's a big difference. Yeah, we have, we a have lot debt. More debt. And also what are we doing what are we doing with our degrees? He also talked he also pointed out that it's safer. The murder rate um was much higher in the sixties. Um we're the healthier. The rate is higher now. Yeah, yeah. Because right. we, we went through and locked up anybody that we thought, you know what, maybe you and, and he all of about, your he talked about that. He said, you know, there things. was uh, a lot, you know some stuff like that has happened Mm -hmm. and those are the things that are now on the plate of the millennials to fix yeah it felt it felt a lot like but i'm already a millennial who has dealt with the consequences of that yeah my dad was in prison for 30 years like that might be my job to deal with now and i'm good with that reparenting yourself is very important Mm -hmm. (laughs) but also to me that doesn't like that doesn't even really help the future. Yeah. Like, that's really, <laughs> like, I don't understand. Like, I get that the article is saying, hey, we did some good stuff. But to me, it sounds like somebody making excuses so that they don't have to have to own. continue to yeah. work so on it. Like, I can stop. I can stop. It. I already well, did I this. Think I want, I mean, to be fair, what do you really, what do we really expect of boomers from this point forward? We don't, Getting out we of the way. We don't right. We don't terribly want them in office anymore. Our current Democratic primary excluded. Sure. Um, we don't. You know what I mean? Like the the idea is a passing of the baton, right? Um, and and I think we want to pass that baton. I don't necessarily want them to like take on shoulder anything else. And part of the reason for that, and something he brings up, is like they are not woke, and we are. I mean, I hate using that term, but like, you know what I mean? Like, they don't have the same cultural understanding of inclusivity. It's harder for them to get on board with that, and so, but we have it, so we can but you continue can to build about, society with that. But you can say that about places that are also impoverished and isolated. That's the thing. Like in our generation, like it doesn't like I mean, they are old and they're not woke. But that doesn't mean that there aren't communities where there are a lot of young, unwoke people (laughs) who are not being served by our Mm, education mm. system, who are not being served in a myriad of ways. And they are still looking at the boomer example as what they should want, because look at what they have, even though the boomers are actively messing up the system so that they could never have that. <laughs> like, that's a problem. Yeah, like, you I mean, can't think- be you can't your generation can't be working to maintain the status quo and also telling the generation, the generations below you that it's their job to come defeat you like you're the big boss at the end of a video game. And then when they do come to defeat you, accept defeat. Yep. Mm -hmm. Except it. You just laid out all of your credits like a eulogy. (laughs) So now when I come and finish you, you're done. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if it's too much to ask for you to graciously step aside. But aren't you tired? 
bruh, aren't you tired? Right. I would Sit be down. I'd be tired. I'm tired you now. Know, I, and I, I know there's more work for me to do. I want to, I guess it's interesting because, yeah, we are still talking about boomers as like this abstract group of people that had power and were white. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other weird thing about them is that they're still like voters, you know, mm-hmm. they are the voters. Mm-hmm. Um, they're they're probably a big part of the reason why Biden is, you know, winning the way he's winning. Right. Please remember the primaries are not over. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, so I, I, you know, it's, it's it, I guess in, in some ways it is interesting to look back at history and say, oh, shit was crazy at in in 1968 when this happened and then in the 90s in the 80s when the ozone was happening and it's important to do that put your current self in in perspective perspective. and i think in in terms of like putting everything perspective that was nice of this article right like this article was like thank you for putting some things into perspective there's one thing i think was kind of uh, there's a big hole in this argument was about the boomers' role in technology in setting up so much technology. Mm-hmm. He he made the point that between 1919 and 1969, a person could have been frozen, woken up in 1919, woken up in 69, and been like, "Oh, everything is essentially still the same, right?" Tell we we have telephones. Oh, you guys have televisions. I have to learn about that, you know. Mm-hmm. But everything, life, the way it happens is essentially still the same. But if you were to freeze in 69 and wake up in 2020, it is completely different, right? You have to be like, mm-hmm. oh, my God, what is a fucking Kindle? And I don't understand your fucking right. cable box and your phone and your, you know, everything is different. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. And I think that that leap of technology, and I've probably said this before on the show, I don't like it. And yeah. <laughs> <I don't, laughs> And that think... is and that is the beginning of your boomer moment. And it's absolutely fine to yeah. feel that way. I yeah. also I mean, but millennials have a huge hand in right. ramping this technology problem up, killing jobs and killing the very fabric of society, which is people re- interacting with each other face to face, you know? Right. And so in that people. sense, I'm like, <laughs> boomers suck, Gen X sucks, millennials suck, everyone sucks because this thing is, I think, you know, ruining humanity. Um. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's ruining humanity and so did and so did albums, you know what I mean? And so yeah, did television. Right. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, so yeah, many yeah, things yeah, yeah, have yeah. ruined no, totally. everything. Totally, yeah, totally. so it's just it's the beginning. You just pick an app that you don't mess with, and then you you get to pick and choose as you're older, which what you feel like. But at some point, you have to just kind of concede. Perhaps I am out of. It's this not game. all for me. Yeah, right. this this may not yeah. be for me. Every well, once in a while, just like I'm not getting on TikTok. Yeah, my dad, my dad got out of. Um, my dad went to prison in 1988, and he got out in 2016. Oh God, Ooh, Lord. So. It was very strange for him doing things like going to the gas station. He didn't yeah. really know how to pump his grass. Um, doing things like this first time he saw a cell phone. Uh, my laptop really freaked him out. Like all that, you know right. what I mean? Like yeah, all it's fucking that different stuff now. Happening. Yeah. And see that happening up close. Mm-hmm. Um, like is really wild. Watching somebody have to reconfigure everything they thought they knew. And in order to just 
like participate in the world, having to figure out these different technologies that they just don't have any yeah. reference for, especially we keep a lot of technology um, out of prisons, even though people need to know how to use those things to work when they get out. Um, and it's getting worse. So Uh-oh. one of those things for sure where like it it's alienating. It is alienating to live in this time and not be able to really do like participate in all conversations and, yeah. and like almost all of technology. Yeah. And I think people realize like how little like even pump down to pumping your gas. Yeah. My dad did not know how to pump gas <laughs> when he got out. He had no idea how to work those machines. Well, um, I want to close off this segment by by mentioning something that the boomer said that maybe riled you both up. I don't know. He said, the uh, um, Sam Hill writes, here's one last piece of advice. This is to the millennials. Mm-hmm. Aim higher. Your passion for change seems to be mostly for yourselves. Health insurance, child care, student loans, paid family leave. Our passion was often to help others. Civil rights, apartheid, and famines in places like Bangladesh, Biafra, and Ethiopia. Yes, it was naive to think that a few concerts like Live Aid could save millions. But it was rooted in good intentions. Our generation may have failed in the execution, but we did not fail in ambition. Um, do you think, and this is my last question, the millennials lack a sort of external, um, <laughs> that kind of a, a, a goal to fix things It's taking more the battle. Ask, ask that dude how his family's doing. Like, yep. do they like him? <laughs> I didn't like him yep. after the article. <laughs> You know, those are just words on the page. Has he hugged anyone in his family lately? Do you know what I mean? We, I, I feel like there, there's a switch. Yeah, we saw what you guys were doing with Live Aid. Absolutely. But we also want to be able to have a conversation with our loved ones. We want to be able to talk these things out and take whatever there is to learn from our elders and uh, freak that however we need to freak that to move forward as a true society because a society is people. It's not, you know yep. what I mean? So, like, teach me how to care about others instead of being demonstrative on showing how. Look how I care about those people over there. Mm. Okay, but, I mean, your kid can has I, been, like, I, pulling out your pant leg forever. Can I say something weird, too, about the generational divide is that one of the things we we're seeing where millennials are uh, the fuel are movements like white nationalism and... Um, neo-Nazis and stuff like that, those are populated. I mean, I know they're very marginal groups, but still, that's those are millennials doing that marching. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that's really interesting to me because maybe you're saying, uh, Shalewa, if I can extend out your argument, he, he didn't do enough hugging. And so I mean, <laughs> his kids turned into neo-Nazis. What is that? <laughs> no, his, obviously that's not what happened. But I'm just saying like there's, you know, there might be something there. Yeah. Just, I think anybody. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. You go ahead. I'm just going to repeat myself. So go ahead. <laughs> I think anybody who's gone through the process of um, living life in the past three, four decades in this country, in America. I think one of the things that has shifted in the thinking from boomers and, you know, that sort of like, well, we tried to help other people and you guys want to help yourselves is that we saw up close 
what it looked like when you are in a community or with a family who's always trying to help other people and they want the image of being the people who help other people. No, we're fine. We're okay. We help other people. And you know that your community or your home or what would, there was some stuff that needed to be taken care of there. Mm -hmm. You watched your mom break down even as she volunteered for this and this and this and that because she didn't think she was worth taking 30 minutes a day to take a bath or she thought that made her a bad mom. Right, right, right. Stuff like that, like those kinds of things, like that stuff starts inside. And being able to understand that those things start inside and that caring for yourself is essential because not only does it help you care for other people, it also helps you care about other people. Whatever you believe you don't deserve, whatever you believe you shouldn't expect or feel entitled to, whatever, it is really, really hard to believe that anybody else should feel like they should be entitled to that or they should have access to that. If you're the kind of person who hates yourself every time you have to ask for help or you would rather die than have to ask for help, then you can't understand why somebody else who needs help isn't dying from the embarrassment of having asked or even having needed it. All right. It's a weird p- place to end, but I think <laughs> I think that was something. Um you guys, uh tell me what you think. I mean, I I, I was just I was all over the place reading this piece. So, mm-hmm. I uh I I see why you guys are, you know, kind of anti. Um but check out this piece you guys. I'm so curious to know what you think. Um and hit me up on the technology platforms that we detest. Um, let us move on to topic number three. So we read a piece um, called Bring Back the Tomboys by Lisa Selen Davis, in which she chronicles our relationship with the iconic tomboy in film and television. Um, and let's start with your personal relationship to the tomboy. Were you one? Were you fans of any? Did you identify with Joe or with Blair on Facts of Life? Um, as women, what did, you know, and, and as young girls, what did tomboys mean to you? Love a tomboy. Me yeah. too. Miss him so As much. As we sit here in our yeah, hoodies. absolutely. <laughs> Love a tomboy. It was a big, um, I, I uh, it, it, to talk about Facts of Life, I was, of course, a, a Natalie person. Mm-hmm. Oh, Natalie. Natalie, but with, yeah. um, with like, Joe rising. It sure got you, yes. 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 Um, and, uh, yeah, like, I. What, I was, wait, what was Natalie's defining characteristic? She was a Weisenheimer. She was a Weisenheimer. She was, she was the big one, and she was a Weisenheimer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, uh, uh, yeah. So that's that was kind of it. Right. So you you know, being that, and then also kind of boyish for sure. The the show was not super on my radar, so I can understand that. I remember, you know, I remember. Uh, Joe and Bled. I haven't even thought of Natalie until right this moment. Yeah, that's me. I am. I am here for your uh, for your character actors. I'm here. I'm here for like Dang. fourth billing. I'm here for those folks. That's yes. that's who I rep for. Uh, and you and it, uh, Ashley. What is your uh, relationship with? As a kid, did you look up to tomboys or would you yeah, think of them? A total tomboy. I mean, I'm still kind of a tomboy. <laughs> Weirdly, getting married has made me more of a tomboy. I don't <laughs> know why that is or how it is, but it really like kind of has. I don't know. I was a girl who loved to be outside. I loved to be running around. When I was five, I lived on a farm in Missouri. It was just me and my grandma and her dad, and I had a dog and a goat. 
And I used to run around all day with my dog and my goat. And in my mind, I was always on an adventure. And I was always doing something like amazing and dangerous and yeah, stuff like yeah. that. And you know, like I think, I think I'm, I'm gonna be like, I really think getting boobs, like, and as quickly as I got them, like, just put this like kibosh on my. Uh, how, wait, how old were you when the boobs happened? I got boobs really early. I was 11. I was in third grade. <gasps> Ooh, yeah, that's, that's rough. early. Third grade when I started growing um, breasts in a really noticeable way. And I remember how quickly it changed. Like, I remember one day, like, doing things like, um, do you know how, like, when you would swing and then you jump off, like, when it yeah. got super high? Yeah. And yeah. Like, yeah. I remember the day a teacher ran over to me and told me I couldn't do that anymore because of the way it made my chest move. Oh, and she told me I no that breaks my heart. To swing. And, you know, over the years, it's hard because, like, I, I it's like I forgot. Me and my husband's family went to Scotland um, in April of last year. And we did like a tour of like the highlands, like a they call it a highland safari where you go see like the animals and stuff that live in like the highlands and the mountains in Scotland. And I at one point was literally climbing the side of like this hill. It was not required. Nobody <laughs> as, like nobody else was climbing the side of this hill. But it was like something snapped in my head where all of a sudden I was like, I can climb this and nobody can say anything to me about it. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. I can climb this because I want to. And I was 32 years old, jumping <laughs> on the side of people climbing. Because for all these years, I, every time I felt that, like, I want to climb something, I want to dig in some dirt, I want to, like, sort of do, like, that tomboy outdoorsy thing. So there was, like, yeah, you know, and you felt empowered by that tomboy yeah. Yeah. thing yeah. as a kid. I mean, I was... I'm sure we we you can tell by the way we're all dressed. I'm like wearing a girly fucking dress, <laughs> keyhole on the titties, and um and and you guys are wearing hoodies. Um, I was definitely not a tomboy though. I have I do feel like I did identify with characters like Joe on the Facts of Life to the extent that I was like aware of them. Right. I think where the cultural conversation became more, I became more in tune with it was the girl power stuff. The like, you know, I'm a girl, like, but I'm wearing a shitload of lipstick. Like, I think that kind of probably spoke to my girl, like my feminine, feminine, like love of dresses and makeup and all of that shit. Um, But I, you know, but I, but at the same time, I was really ambitious and really driven and really goal oriented, which I think are strangely, Mm -hmm. in some senses, tomboy qualities. Um, Yeah, they, there's uh, something to be said about tomboy qualities but being packaged in a girly, girly way yeah, but even yeah, then that's yeah. going to get you the label of bossy yes no so, exactly yeah, exactly because so i was never thought to... of as a tomboy right but i do think i may have been thought of as just like oh she's too much with all the things she's trying to do or right, whatever right you know? yeah so i mean there are levels to even the tomboyness. um and i i just wish that when the girl power thing came around, I was like, I mean, great, fine, lipstick, yes, girls. All I'm of one that. of them, yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, but I I still am going to be in jeans and a t-shirt and these sneakers. I found all of these sneakers. I just bought all of these sneakers. <laughs> I'm going to wear these sneakers. Um, 
you know, and so like it's just it's a very. Well, where uh, does it? Where are you? I mean, where has the tomboy gone, or has it gone anywhere? I mean, that the point of this piece was that we're we we miss them. They're not around as much anymore. Like they have a different space in culture. Yeah, I feel like anyone who reads this tomboyish now gets a a label of if they're in the public eye uh, of difficult, like. Um, Christy McNichol, tomboy, Kristen Stewart, difficult. Mm, yeah, uh, yeah, something yeah. happened there. I was like, right. I don't think she's difficult. I think she's just doing her thing. Right. Um, she's just, I mean, she might not be the warmest fucking right. dipped in pink person. Yes, but exactly. She's so, hot, yeah. Know. So then what were we putting on tomboys? I feel like there was also like a thing where, well, we'll let you be a tomboy. But at some point, we're going to take your hair out of that ponytail. Yep. And you're going to magically become a woman. And then when you didn't do that, it's like, well, what? Are, what's going on then? Like, this is just yeah, you? Yeah, I think I, in, the, in the age that I, <laughs> right. At yeah. the age, I think the, the time that I grew up, those those stories, those high school kind of rom-com stories of like the girl who was a little nerdy and she yeah, took her glasses back, off. And, yeah. she, and you just take the glasses off and throw on some lip gloss and then suddenly she's gorgeous. That I think is where, you know, like my age cohort was like, oh, all we have to do is fucking put on some and I'm <laughs> right. but now I'm walking around different. blind with lipstick on my teeth. I can't do that. Yeah, I guess for me, that yeah. stuff always looked like a performance. So I always felt like this was more of my natural state. Mm-hmm. And when I did the big glam thing, yeah. that that was supposed to be the play. Like that was supposed to be like right, right, right. Doing, but you know what I mean? Like I didn't. It's only now, really. No, I guess it was more so like in college that I started realizing that there were people who did that every day. Right. Mm-hmm. Because I didn't know that that was like, or at least I don't come from like a place where like people would do like a full face. I Guys, still I, marvel at it. I, I still yeah. marvel at it. I went to Cornell in upstate New York for undergrad. And it is a, I don't know if you're familiar with Cornell or the setting, but it is very much a performance fleece type campus. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I fucking showed up with my dresses and (laughs) I did not wear boots in very intense winter situations Mm because I didn't think they looked cute. And I was a ridiculous person on a campus of people that did not dress like me at all whatsoever. But see, you know what? As a... um as someone who uh, is tomboyish, if I had encountered you and you held to that mm. in that situation, absolutely would have loved it. I'm like, absolutely, yep. yeah, go do it. Right. You are, well, uh, yeah. you are. This is you. This is clearly right. you. I guess, I guess, in, and in both cases, what what is what we're talking about are like people that are women that are bucking the trend, whatever that trend is. Yes. And in my local context in Ithaca, New York, it was that I was overly fashionable, whatever, right. um, <laughs> as everyone else had grappling hooks on their backpacks, you right. know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, um, and I think the the interesting thing about now and where where all of this tension lies now is that girls i think you know in their teens are so much more comfortable or this is what it seems like from mm. where i uh, sit so much more comfortable with their sexuality and so and and i think almost you know you look at someone like billie eilish who wears the boxy clothes right. and she's yeah. just not showing off her body at all um 
she seems like someone, I mean, aggressively not trying to show the contours of her body. Right. So it it feels oh, like what? no, which is so nothing. So I think what's happening there is I, I is she it, she's either setting the basis of like this is womanhood as I know it. Uh-huh. Or I don't know. What do you think? Or she's, no, I think Ashley has something. You, I, I feel this like this is really interesting. Yeah, I, I, I don't. I'm, I'm just talking out loud here. I don't actually know. Yeah, but yeah. what do you think? No, no, no. Ashley? This is really interesting because she's talked about this a little bit about why she covers herself um, to avoid a certain kind of like body shaming right. and stuff like that. She recently started opening her concerts with a video that she's made where she takes off the baggy clothes. Like in this video and in the background is talking about body shaming and talking about how she has this pride in her body, but her body is not like it's not for sale, essentially. Like it's just not part of the deal, you know, unless she decides it's time for her or that she wants to show her body in a certain way. And it's really interesting how people have been reacting to that. Because you have people who are like, why does she even care? And then you have people who are like, that is really powerful what she's I mean, saying. She, and is, it's changing. she is approaching the age where you get to make that decision because yeah. you're yes. out you're out from underneath the high school thumb yeah. where those decisions mm-hmm. feel like they're made for you. So it's mm-hmm. usually right around 1920 where you are where you're like, you know what, I'm going to attempt this and this isn't what I normally do, but I'm going to see if I can pull it off. And it may not be for me or I may put it in the rotation, but let's see. So there's a lot of that going on um, Mm -hmm. already for a a young lady and for her to acknowledge that I think is good because I feel like others can see, oh, okay. So there is a moment where I get to decide that because it doesn't (laughs) feel like, I mean, with the trends that are going on for teenage girls now, either you are putting on a whole new face for Instagram, yeah. it seems like, or you're whatever the, vi- the what is the Visco? The, vi- the, what just looks to Visco be. Girl. Visco girl. What is, wait, <laughs> which what just is seems oh to God, be, which just girl? seems to be girls who are not wearing a lot of makeup, but not oh, necessarily yeah, tomboyish, yeah, yeah, yeah. but just, you know, there's not like a mannishness to what they're doing. I'm I like, think... oh, so they just kind of let okay, their hair so down I and drink out of. This is my feeling about all of it is mm-hmm. maybe it even with Billie Eilish is that it's all so performative. It loses its authenticity for me. But the, but you were also performing at that time. Yeah. Yes. yes Everybody. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Everybody yes. is no, performing. It, it, so. and, and I mean, she's. She's specifically performing. She is a performer, so she yeah. should. No, that's fine. But I'm t- but maybe these Visco girls or whatever. Like it, the it's like an it's like a pronouncement as opposed to like an actual natural way of being, which I which I think is what it is different. The tomboys of our youth felt like they were just a part of nature. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. They were running around with goats and a dog, and yes. and that in 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 order to do that, you had to wear pants. You know what I'm saying? And right. that, so it felt just sort of like a natural. But that also may be through the lens of nostalgia. Yeah, I'm sure that yep. yeah, that yes, that true. is still going on right now. Yeah. And those yep. and those girls are not necessarily on Instagram, or maybe they are. Maybe they're still on Tumblr. I don't know. But yeah, like right. they, but they're still out there. But yeah, there's definitely there's still a demonstrative sense to it because you're demonstrating for your friends. Right. You know it's, what I mean? It's a youth thing. It's like, a, yeah. 
That's we true. All That's true. Like we all as youth, you like, like when you're trying to find your place and you're trying to find your people, it's like you just start declaring things that you believe or things that you hope are true or yeah. all of those things because you're trying to find people who believe those same things or who you can connect with over those things, especially if at that time you don't have anybody else. And there's who- something that can go on deep into your 20s. Oh, I, for I, sure. I absolutely oh, remember yeah. making some choices, uh, sartorial choices in my 20s. Where I was like, <laughs> this is, I don't think this is me, but it's because I'm in this environment. I think this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Right, right, and right. I, yeah, absolutely. yeah. So no, it's so just going to, yeah. Um, I, one of the holes I felt like this article had was, you know, they talked about the girl power stuff of the 90s and like Mm -hmm. sporty spice and whatever um but what they did talk about that was happening concurrently in the 90s was the grunge movement because i had a couple of outfits you know that were really inspired by the grunge movement when i was a kid i think all of those the the baggy really the billy eilish outfits yeah i think the sparkly stuff came in reaction, in reaction to the grunge, to the grunge. right, right, right. I, yeah. yeah, I remember. Yeah, I guess definitely. it does. It does come like slightly before the, yeah. the sparkly girl yeah. power stuff. Yes, and so there was this that magic moment where you are wearing uh, Sears Robux jeans, and then so and is then everybody. Butterfly clips. You know right. what I mean? There's like a time where that was a mix, and then right. it just. Went, I remember that time. Yeah, I missed the butterfly clips, oh, man. They were yeah, doing I, some heavy lifting. Them. Yeah. <laughs> um, I I used to like. I think. One of the things that is really interesting for me in that, like with the uh, grunge thing, is probably because of where I grew up, where it was mostly black. There wasn't really like a grunge right. influence that makes in sense. the 90s. Like none of that was there. Like it wasn't like, I mean, people were wearing um, flannels and stuff like that, but they weren't wearing them like Kurt Cobain. Yeah, they were, I, had, <laughs> I had a blue plaid flannel shirt that I wore that I loved and my younger sister would borrow. And we wore them in two very different ways. I was definitely doing a grunge thing. It's tied around my waist, oh, yeah. uh, a cardigan over it, lunchbox purse, yes, the whole nine. Nice. My but sister God, would bar- borrow it and would go and she'd wear it while she was off to college. Top button buttoned only. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like dark, dark blue chucks. Yeah. Uh, Like running. She said at one point she was running across the campus with that shirt flapping and she felt like she was in a Snoop Dogg video. And I'm like, I'm like, that wasn't the purpose that the shirt was purchase that's not that's how all, that is that's not how it was supposed of, to be yeah. used you are supposed to be sad and maybe fighting heroin even though it's been nowhere near us so one shirt two uses it was a wild time it was a wild time it and was. i guess so i guess do you feel like the tomboy is uh still happening is is just is the Yeah, I I think it's still happening. I think it's not marketable. And I think that anyone who shows that kind of energy, maybe they don't know what to do with it. I feel like the thing of the 70s is that it was very marketable. There were a few people that ended up doing it or even got crammed into doing it. So it felt like it was a thing. But it was really the energy of a couple. And I don't know if it's got 
a new name. I don't know if, but it, I think it's more of a spirit thing. It, it almost feels like maybe at odds with the idea of gender. True. That's know, gender true. Being uh, yeah, a, at this know, point, a, it's probably, a, a, it's right, like, been wrapped like, into it's, that. Is, so. it, is being a tomboy also being gender non-binary? No, you know, not exactly, right? right? Yeah. Like, is it being gender fluid? Not exactly. Yeah, so like, that's so where, what, yeah. where does it land? And I think, yeah, I think it, with might, the, it might with be the Demolition of the binary system. Yes. It has all... We're all over the place. I do want to say from a fashion perspective real quick that, like, I go into shops all the time. I like to keep my tabs, see what's out there, maybe spend too much money on clothes. Uh, And right now, we're in a real potato sack revolution. I got to say, I love it. Me too. Don't love it. I don't love it. No, just get it nipped in. I know you have a tailor. I I mean, look, I have a tailor. I really do. You're going to nip it in. And I I have... A lot of belts. So I, you know, I, exactly. I figure my way around all of the, the, as, the un- potato sacks. But we're in a potato sack age that feels like it, that has a lot of the kind of like tomboy, like, you know, not, this is not about the shape of your body. Like, hey, no man, unfortunately, I use a little sash belts that they give you with it. And people are like, oh, yeah, no, I see it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I can't. <laughs> I can't fight it, and I either I'm going to throw some Sauconies with it, or I'm going to put a turtle necklace on. It, like it's going to be one or the other. Yeah, but it's it, it, the problem because fashion is embracing androgyny faster than they're embracing size inclusion. Oh. Yeah, so, that's the, the trouble. Yeah. Is that like I mean, I might if I, like I love suits. I own a lot of suits. Mm-hmm. I wear a lot of suits. It's my favorite thing to wear. But part of the reason why I love my suits so much is because to track down a suit that I can, it's such a journey. Oh, it's, it's such an yeah. adventure yes. to track down a for suit. For most women. Actually. I mean, yeah, for 95% of women, I, I feel like love, that's the case. Yeah, I would love yes. a, a, a perfect suit. I wanted to wear a tux to prom, and my mom was like, mm, baby, you know we don't do that, right? And I was like, that's fair. Okay. But, uh, <laughs> But, yeah, uh, yeah like, but I mean, Bernie like, because Sanders of the president right now, get out of, of here. Uh, because of fits with pants and everything, I once had to go like two years, no pants because they were just not. I mean, they were just available. not. I don't know what rises were doing, but it wasn't for me. And so I just had to wear <laughs> skirts or dresses. And that's why I'm enjoying this whole gunny sack situation, yeah. because I'm like, yeah, no one necessarily knows. And I'm perfectly fine with that yeah i'm perfectly comfortable yeah my clothes are so much more comfortable now i feel like for years and part of it could just be you know poverty (laughs) and not just the fashion industry (laughs) right for years i was like my clothes hurt like i hated Mm -hmm. wearing clothes Mm -hmm. something was always riding up something was digging into something like nothing ever fit just right where i felt like i could leave the house and look nice but not feel like I was trapped inside my clothes the whole time I was like out in the open. That's probably only changed in the past like four or five years yeah. that I've been able to get clothes and not feel like they hurt me. <laughs> well, guys, let me know. Where do you stand uh, on the tomboy? Um, not where do you where do you think tomboys are in, uh, in culture these days? Um, hit me up. Let me know. I'm so curious. Uh, I love talking about this with you guys. I feel like we talk about it for hours. All right, you guys. That's the end of the show. How do you feel? Ashley, do you have a fever? 
<laughs> During this conversation, I developed a, th- a fever and, uh, you know, might be down for the count, but I appreciate your time. Oh. Uh, <laughs> this was a fascinating conversation. Like I said, I don't usually get to talk about stuff like this the way I want to. So I had a great time. Thanks for coming. We're here for you. Um, I want people of Fake the Nation to be able to follow both of you and all the stuff you do. Um, if they're in a quarantine and they want to look you up, where do they do that? Shalewa. Uh, I am on um, all of the important social medias, your <laughs> your Instagram, your Twitter, your Venmo. Uh, it's the same. <laughs> it's the same username at Silky Jumbo. All one word, traditional spelling. Silky Jumbo. Silky Jumbo. Um, definitely follow her. I follow her and she's fun. <laughs> um, Ashley, where do people find you? I'm on Twitter. I'm I smash fizzle on Instagram. I'm smash fizzle. And basically everything I do is either linked to or you can figure it out from AshleyC4.com. I promise. Mo- mm, no, I don't promise. But give it a shot. <laughs> and uh, subscribe to Fortune Favors the Bold to hear her voice and binge some podcasts. You guys, I wanted to let you know about uh, what I'm up to this week. And I'm actually going to be performing at the Kennedy Center in Washington, D.C. on Saturday. I know that's weird that I'm doing that. But that show is happening. It's the live from here broadcast from, from NPR. Um, it's a fantastic Fantastic show. Last time I did it, I had so much fun. It, uh, Lucinda Williams is on the show. It's going to be a ridiculous, ridiculous broadcast. So please tune into that. If you are in D.C., they are having a, quote, limited audience to accommodate the coronavirus. I don't know what that means, um, but figure it out. Get your tickets. or If there are tickets, I don't know. Anyways, but I uh, um, tune in because that will be a live broadcast on Saturday, 6 p.m. Eastern on NPR. Um, and I don't know. I think it's, you know, that same time zone in every market. I'm not sure. I don't know how it works. <laughs> but look it up. I really hope you could uh, check out the show. Um, it's going to be a weird coronavirus spectacular uh, from the Kennedy Center in D.C. Um, and I also wanted to point out that I'm going to be in wait on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me next week from Chicago. So if you want to come see the show in Chicago, it's a smaller theater. So I don't think that they have to cancel that one. I don't know. Let's see how coronavirus affects my career. Um, All right, you guys, that is the end of the show. And what I really would like to do is thank our production team here at Fake the Nation. Um, That's our producer, Anita Flores, our talented audio engineer, Andy Christens, and also Jared O'Connell, who helped make the show happen today. Guys, Earwolf is just not... Not actually even at Earwolf today, but these brave, (laughs) brave souls, um, Jared and Anita, came to work nevertheless, and I'm so grateful to them um, for braving the subways and and coming. Uh, Gabby Alter wrote her theme music. Lily Fleshler helps um, with research, and dear listeners, we'd love to hear from you. Send us your feedback, topics we should be chatting about, guest ideas. You can leave us a voicemail at 347-770-4981, or you can drop us a line at comments at fakethenation.com, and if you like what you hear, please leave a review at Apple Podcasts. It helps more people find out about the show. You guys will be back next week. Goodbye. Goodbye.